Well, today uh, we uh, complete our series on the uh, minor prophets of the Old Testament, the last uh, 12 books of the Old Testament. And I hope that the uh, sermon series has been helpful and informational and even transformational as we've kind of looked at these servants of God who uh, spoke in a very specific time and place about the things that God desired for them to say. The transformational part is that it hopefully has been um, uh, encouraging in your faith, in your walk with the Lord, and giving you a chance to even examine your faith. Well, this morning we are finishing up with the prophet Malachi, or if you are an Italian from New Jersey, Malachi, Malachi. The, the book of Malachi is uh, four chapters and 55 verses long. And like the others who have preceded him, Malachi has some very important words to say to us. In fact, the name Malachi means my messenger. And so while Malachi is the last, he's certainly not the least. Written around uh, 500 BC, uh, this is a book that addresses uh, people uh, as opposed to an entire nation. And there isn't this uh, concern, as we've talked in previous weeks, about the Assyrians or the Babylonians because they're long gone. What Malachi is deeply concerned about are practical spiritual disciplines. For example, he brings up tithing. He's concerned about priests who are presenting unclean offerings during worship in the temple. He's concerned about people who are involved in extramarital adulterous affairs. Well, in chapters three and four, Malachi delivers a message that then points us to the New Testament. It's a profoundly messianic message. The message is the Messiah is coming. So I invite you to join me as I read from the book of Malachi, chapter three, verses one through four, as this morning we celebrate Christmas in August. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I look around the room today... I see some confused looks on your faces, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, John has completely lost it. You're probably right. <laughs> what in the world are we doing singing Christmas carols in worship today? What's with all the Christmas decorations? My thanks to those who helped uh, set those up and bring those that would be our wonderful church secretary peggy osborne but what is it with this christmas stuff today it's august not december 
Well, friends, believe it or not, we are here to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. That's what the prophet Malachi was talking about in chapter 3. That's what John the Baptist says in Luke chapter 3, which I'm going to read for you in just a few moments. The Messiah is coming. He really is. It's interesting. I saw this uh, church statistic this week that the average congregation sees a, a spike in attendance of 187% on Christmas Eve as compared to the other Sundays of the year. And I think if we were to check our worship statistics, we would see a bump and an increase as well. But here's the question. What does Christmas mean for you today on August 28th? What will it mean for you tomorrow and next week? and next month. How much will Jesus Christ's coming mean to you when your three-year-old throws a screaming fit in the middle of giants? When you're all alone at night with no one to talk to? When a loved one's biopsy comes back malignant? Or when some other crisis just enters into your life and jerks the rug right out from underneath you? Will you be celebrating Christ's coming then? Well, there's no question what Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, and John the Baptist, the first prophet of the New Testament, thinks about these things. The words of John the Baptist kind of echo the words of Malachi. And so I want you to join me once again as we read from God's Word, and we're going to look at that New Testament passage. Luke chapter 3, very short passage verses 15 through 17. You can follow along on the screen. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once again, would you join me in prayer? God, we pray that in these moments you would uh, open our hearts and minds so that we might hear and receive that thing that would most be helpful in our walk with you as you fill us with the light and life and love of Jesus Christ as we pray it and ask it in his name. Amen. Well, several years ago, a group of historians got together and they wrote a book titled If, that was the title, If, subtitle, History Rewritten. And in this book, they speculated on what would have happened if certain watershed moments in history had occurred in a much different way. For example, what if Robert E. Lee had not lost the Battle of Gettysburg? How much would history be different today? What if Abraham Lincoln had not been assassinated by John Wilkes Booth? What if Winston Churchill had died in 1931 after being hit by a car in New York City? What if Adolf Hitler had not been stopped during World War II by the United States? 
And the book sort of speculates on all the possible alternative scenarios if certain events didn't play out the way they actually did. Well, I want to serve up another what if to you this morning. What if Jesus Christ did not come? What if the prophecies of Malachi and John the Baptist were not fulfilled and there was no Messiah? In other words, what if there was no Christmas? Think about it. A world without Jesus Christ would be a world without hope. In a Christmas-less world, there's no manger, no poinsettias, no star, no stable, no shepherds, no angels, no wise men, no carols. Instead, a few houses sit on this site, and there's really no reason for you to pull into the parking lot on Sunday morning. It's a scary thought if you think about it. Well, what I'd like to do for a couple of minutes is spend some time in the muck and the mire of a world without Christmas. In a Christmas-less world, we don't have intimacy with God. Jesus said the first and the greatest commandment is to love God. So that means that you and I were created to live in relationship with God. And unless we have that relationship with Jesus Christ, then there's always something missing from our lives. Kurt Cobain, the rock star, who took his own life, described his despair when he said before he died, I've got an emptiness deep inside of me that just won't go away. We probably all know people, perhaps you prayed for that person earlier, who kind of try to fill their lives with everything, music, sports, alcohol, shopping, even working long hours at the office. And even though there's nothing wrong about those things in and of themselves, it's just that they are not going to satisfy the hunger deep in the heart of each and every one of us. Jesus Christ is the only answer to what Augustine called the God-shaped vacuum in every human heart. Indeed, as he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And Jesus Christ is the one. Jesus Christ is the only one who makes it possible for us to be restored into a right relationship with God. Another thing about a world without Christmas is that we would be stuck in the burden of our sin and guilt. That means that whatever bad thing or things we may have ever done in our lives that would stick to us and cling to us like Velcro. I was counseling a young woman in a church that I previously served And she said, John, I'm going to tell you something that I've never told to anybody else before in my life. Now, let me just say to you, if any of you ever say that to me, you will have my full attention right away. But this woman proceeded to kind of dust off this tawdry tale of infidelity and abuse and alcohol, even though it had happened some 25 years earlier. Well, friends, in a Christmas-less world, this woman would be stuck in that guilt Now, of course, a pastor may be able to help her. A licensed professional therapist may be able to help her cope with her past. But the reality is that that woman, we would be stuck with that guilt for that deed. It would buzz around her head like an annoying bee and would dog her every day of her life. The other thing about a Christmas-less world is that there's no God 
who intervenes in our daily struggles. In a world without Christmas, God created the world. He sort of spun the world on his fingertips like a basketball, and that so exhausted him that he checked out of life and hasn't been heard from since. The Christian recording artist Phil Kage sings, our human need is crying out as greed eats to the marrow. Does God ignore a suffering world just to keep the straight and narrow? And so we have to ask honest questions, right? Does God really care about people who can't quite muster up the energy to get out of bed and go to work on a Monday morning? Does God care about the communication between a husband and wife when it goes silent because one of them has Alzheimer's disease? Does God care about families who are being torn apart by conflict? Does God care about churches where the people don't exactly see eye to eye? Does God care about me as I go through the trials and trappings of each day? I don't know. I can't be sure in a Christmas-less world. But friends, I'm here to tell you that even on August 28th, we live in a world of Christmas. That's the astonishing news of both Malachi and John the Baptist. God himself promises to come into our lives. You know, it's one thing to send a messenger, and for these past weeks of this sermon series, we've been looking at the messengers that God sent, like Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Haggai and Zechariah. And all these were messengers, great messengers and gifts of God for his people. What's truly remarkable is that God chose to be the messenger himself. Malachi, you heard me read earlier, said, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed he is coming. And so today, we can celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, whose kingdom has come to fill us with eternal Christmas joy. You know, even though it's still four months away, I do have my very first Christmas joke for you. <laughs> Don't start groaning already before you've even heard it. Groan after you hear it. Why was the little boy afraid of Santa Claus? Why was the little boy afraid of Santa Claus? Because he had claustrophobia. See, you're in mid-season form. Well, friends, into the fears and dangers of this world, Jesus Christ came to be with us and for us. Because we don't live in heaven. We don't live with Santa and his elves in the North Pole. We live in a world of fear and abandonment, of broken dreams, financial peril, of cancer, of poverty, of disease. You know, it may have been unthinkable back in Malachi's day to suggest that the God of the universe would come to be with us, and yet he came as Emmanuel. He entered into this world to be with us. God came to be intimate with us. I love how the Canadian author and journalist Merle Shane describes intimacy. Intimacy is a haven where your vulnerabilities don't humiliate you and all your funny lines are understood. It's knowing someone so well you can no longer tell where they begin and you leave off. As in the cartoon in which one elderly person says to the other, now which one of us doesn't like broccoli? It's an eye that catches yours across the room. It's pet names and making plans. 
a cup of tea in bed. It's a hug when you need it and even when you don't. It's always knowing you have a date on Saturday night. How intimate is God with us? Listen to what Jesus said. I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus says, you won't be able to tell where I leave off and you begin. In a world of Christmas, we are freed from the burden of our sins. You know, if Jesus were only a mere mortal messenger, he, he, he would have failed us as his representative. Our guilt, our failure, the penalty and the power of all that guilt would entangle us and we would be stuck in our sins. I remember playing the game Candyland when my kids were very young. It, it's a game designed to, to teach children colors and it's supposed to be fun and not competitive. <clears throat> you know where this is going, don't you? I can tell. Well, I think, I think I like it the best because it said right on the box, no reading required. That was, that's what made it for me. Well, you, the object, you begin to start, and then you sort of advance your gingerbread man around the board by picking up one card at a time and then moving to the color that's shown on the card. The object of the game is to reach the candy castle, and then you've won. Well, right before the finish, there is this hazard. It's called the molasses swamp. And if you get stuck in the molasses swamp, you are helpless, and you can't get out of it unless you draw one kind of particular card. Well, I remember times I'd be playing with my children, I'd be sailing along, the finish line would be right in sight, I'd get stuck in that molasses swamp, and they would pass me and win the game. Do you know how frustrating that is? <laughs> but every once in a while, I would get the right color card that would release me from the molasses swamp. and I would win the game. Because Jesus Christ is the messenger of the new covenant, our sins are forgiven. What that means is you don't need any particular kind of card. You only need Christ. In the world of Christmas, that means we're no longer stuck. Our burdens are lifted through the Savior, and we are freed from the swampy sin that has kept us and kept us stuck. Now, Christmas in August also means that we should get our hopes up. You know, we humans really can't live without hope, and both Malachi and John the Baptist pin their hopes on the Savior. Well, friends, this morning, you and I can pin our hopes on that same high place, just like they did, on the power of God to fulfill his promises, to bring in his kingdom, a kingdom that will turn this world into the place that God has intended from the very beginning of time. We know that the kingdom is coming. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We know the kingdom is coming. Why? Because the king is coming. And Jesus Christ is our expectant hope. In a suburban community down south, there was this growing church. It was full of activity and noise. There were lots of people. They had blaring music. There was traffic. There were teenagers. There were mission trips. There were all kinds of things going on in this church. Well, a group of people in the neighborhood that surrounded the church kind of got tired of it, and they put together a petition that would require the church to keep quiet 
And so they went door to door trying to gather signatures for the petition. They knocked on the door of a Jewish man and they asked him to sign their petition. And the Jewish man said, well, what's the problem? He said, oh, those Christians over there, they're, they're so noisy, the people said. The Jewish man said, I'm not signing that. They said, why not? You don't believe in Jesus Christ? He said, I know. But if I believe what those Christians believe, that the Messiah has come, I'd be even a lot more noisy than they are. <laughs> whatever your struggles this morning, whatever your disappointments, I want you to know that our hope is in the one who came to save you and me and to free us from our sins and to make us new and to make us whole. So friends, it's only August 28th, but I'd like for us to have soaring expectations of the coming of Christ. That means that every day should be, late, be like a, a child waiting to open up their presents underneath the tree, like a bride waiting for her wedding day. Let's wait and hope for Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and let's get ready to just erupt with excitement and with enthusiasm. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we thank you for these messengers that you have sent to us to help us understand you more. And for this last one that we have looked at, the prophet Malachi, who has pointed us to, to you and to your son, Jesus Christ, and his coming. May indeed, O oh God, our lives be filled with Christmas joy, not just today, not just tomorrow, but indeed forevermore. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.